Good morning. I'm Jan Blah, a member of this congregation, and I'll be reading from Philippians 2, 12 to 18, in the Common English Bible on page 1430. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I am present, but now even more while I am away, carrying out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world because you hold on to the word of life. This will allow me to say on the day of Christ that I haven't run for nothing or worked for nothing. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the altar of service for your faith, I am glad. I'm glad with all of you. You should be glad about this in the same way. Be glad with me. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we look into just a fascinating passage of scripture that Jan's just read for us. But before we do that, I'd like to give a special greeting to those of you, especially those of you who have tuned in to us over the internet week after week. Um, I was reminded again of you this just this week as I was uh, in contact with David McKenna, who's a member of our congregation, and um, along with he and his wife Jan, because of distance and health issues, have not been able to be with us for some time. Just reminded again of the very special privilege that we have it, to come into your home from week to week to share the word of God. And for many of that, you, that is because you are a part of this church. For those of you here in the room, as well as uh, those of you online, many of you know Janet and David, David and Janet, and may remember that a few weeks ago I shared how just after Sylvia and I had come here to Seattle, David sent a, a marvelous note to me, just welcoming uh, Sylvia and I here and telling us that uh, he'd be online every week, even though uh, they're not able to get out because of health issues and also distance. Uh, well, some of you know that Janet took a very bad fall this past week and will be healing for some time. And um, in contact with David, I said, uh, would you like to just share a greeting uh, with the folks in the congregation? I knew that would mean a lot to all of us. And so David says, absolutely, yes, um, we wish we could be there, but of course can't. You are our church home. And if that's the way you feel about First Church, um, we're blessed even though you can't be with us from week to week. David, who all of us know has a great uh, way with words, said, uh, we're media members. And so if you're media members of First Church, we just want to say, please stay in touch. If there are ways that we can, in particular, pray for you, let us know. If there's special needs in your life, let us know so that we can pray. You can do that, of course, online 
uh, just send an email. You could send it to me, art at ffmc.org, or to the church at large here. One thing, if it's, a, if it's a need that we can share with everybody, let us know that. If it's a more confidential need, just let us know, then only the pastors will know about it and pray for you. But we're just so blessed that you're a part of our congregation. Uh, as I said, uh, this morning we're going to look into this passage from Philippians chapter 2. And as I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about the fact that in just four weeks, our new pastor, Pastor Craig Brown, along with his wife, Bettina, will be with us here. And we want to do everything possible to prepare ourselves for their coming. I mean, we're praying for them. We're praying that the Lord will give them a few weeks of sort of rest and respite, that he'll prepare their hearts. Um, but we also want to pray for ourselves, that God will get us ready for a very special time. Um, we're hoping for about a 10-year pastorate. That's what Pastor Craig would like, and I think that's what we would like also, of blessing, of fruitfulness, of new persons being part of our congregation, perhaps people who have never come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, or others who do know him, but who don't have a church home. Perhaps they live with only, within only blocks of us here, but for whatever reason have just not connected with a church in the recent past. So that's the kind of congregation we want to be. I think many of us also recognize, largely because of the pandemic that we've just gone through, that churches, churches in some ways will never be the same as they were before. Our culture is going through a radical change during this time. And we want to be the kind of church that can take advantage of the new opportunities that God gives us because the world is in the middle of change. But all of that is not, it's not necessarily easy to work through. And we need the touch of God preparing us, preparing Pastor Craig, um, helping us to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. And so my invitation is find some way to focus in on prayer for our new pastors coming and our preparation for that. Some of you know, in fact, some of you are a part of our online Zoom prayer meeting that meets every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. The information of, for that is in your bulletin. And... Uh, I've talked with uh, Chuck Zittle, and they would just be really pleased to have some additional people who would like to join with them. And part of their focus every week is on our preparation for our new pastor's coming and his preparation for coming as our new pastor. So that's one way I'd urge you, uh, at least consider that. And if you have any p questions, uh, please get to Chuck or get to me and we'll be glad to fill you in on additional information. The information that you need actually is in the bulletin there for your connection. 
Then a couple of other opportunities. Um, each Sunday morning at about 8.35, there's a group of people that meet out in the entryway, the narthex of the church, to especially pray for that morning's uh, worship. And they'd love to have some extra people join them there at that time. And part of the prayer focus is going to be for the coming of our new pastor. And then I was thinking about the marvelous privilege that we have every Sunday to celebrate Holy Communion together. And, and that wonderful moment of quiet reflection and openness to God. And what if we purposed that part of what we would do during that time would be asking God to do all of what's necessary within us and within our new pastor to prepare for his coming. Um, in fact, as you come to receive the communion elements, uh, some of you from week to week do uh, kneel here at the altar, the communion rail, in order to take your communion elements. Others, of course, return to your seats. So whether it's there or in your seats, to take part of that moment to say again to the Lord every week, you do what you need to do in me and in our whole congregation to pray, prepare us for our new pastor's coming. So just that encouragement, uh, other ways that we can, let's make this a time of special prayer for this wonderful transition that we're soon going to be a part of. In fact, uh, pray with me right now, would you? Lord Jesus, uh, we are so thankful that you are the Lord of the church. You are the Lord of First Free Methodist Church. We acknowledge that with great gratitude. And now we ask that you will unusually bless Pastor Craig during these weeks, preparing his heart for the message that he will preach on the first Sunday of July, for every interaction that he and Bettina have with the folks that make First Free Methodist Church their home. Particularly prepare us, we pray, that we may be ready for what you want to do this summer and in the months and the years that follow. For we do pray in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Most of you know that last week we began a short sermon series from the book of Philippians. And we're picking out five statements of reality that Paul wanted to remind his Philippian friends and that would give them the strength as they faced all the challenges of their life. We're sharing it under the general topic of yes, life. That we're not here on the face of this globe just to go through the motions. 
or to put in time, but somehow God wants to, for every one of us, give us each day that intentional kind of joy that makes us look forward to what's going to happen during that day. And Paul gives us the theological background by which that can be possible. As I looked at the, um, the great statement of reality for this week, I thought to myself, what an awesome passage of scripture for Pentecost Sunday. You see, what Paul is dealing with in this passage of scripture is um, how, do we, how do we grow as followers of Jesus? I mean, not in a complete way. He talks about this general subject in almost all of his letters. But what he's dealing with is in Christian growth, what part is God's part and what part is our part? As I've lived in the Christian church and also reflected on my own life, I've been disappointed at times because it's so often that in trying to deal with this question, we go to one really extreme or the other whereby we don't even get it right at all. That sometimes the Christian church will go to the extreme of performance. So God's in his heaven. He loved us. He forgaves, forgave us. But basically, it's up to us to live as Jesus would have us to live. Performance. That's been sometimes our pattern. Now, way over on the other extreme, we might call it presumption, where we say, God has forgiven us, he's offered his help, and basically it's up to him to do whatever gets done. And we take almost no responsibility at all. Part of what's fascinating about this passage of scripture, in particular in the translation which the New International Version and several of the other biblical versions uh, translations have given is a, an interesting play on words where Paul says it's God's part to work in us and then it's our part to work out what he's worked in us. But it's impossible for us to do anything unless he's already worked in us. This is the 12th verse of this second chapter of Philippians. And in the New International, listen to the way it's translated. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continually work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. So it's God that produces within us the will to live as we know we should live, or as the uh, version in your pews uh, translates it, 
It is God who gives us the want to live the way God would have us live. It's been interesting in my own life to reflect on this. I, I think it was probably when I was in my teens. Um, earlier, I think I shared with you how I first responded in faith to Christ when I was just a child, maybe kindergarten, first grade, under some very interesting circumstances, um, and really believed I was a follower of Jesus. My parents encouraged me in that faith, but I think it was in my teens where I realized, and it came to a head one evening, that what God wanted more than anything else from me was for me to turn my whole life over to him. Maybe you might describe this as my adult conversion. Some, I sometimes have wondered, was that the moment that for the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, the Spirit that came in fullness on Pentecost. But it was this wrestling that went, it went on within me where I said to Jesus as if, you know, I know you're a follower. Why are, why are you making me so uncomfortable inside? And I struggled within myself and finally had to say, you know, I understand now that really all you want from me is for me just to totally turn myself over to you. And, and it was a beautiful moment as God came into my life in a new way. And so from that time, I've, I've reflected on how God works within us to, to change our wills. But then, in reflecting again on you know, how God is dealing with me, I've realized how sometimes it's very difficult to know whether or not I really want what God wants in my life. You know, you'd even struggle with what is it that God wants in my life? And I remember, not the specific event, but I do remember this happening where at a certain point, it seemed as if God was saying to me, I know you can't always want what I want for you, maybe because you don't know what it is, but you can want to want what I would like to do in your life. And, you know, it was just a beautiful moment of realizing that God is the one who takes, takes that singular decision on our part to let him move freely in our lives. And then he begins, as Paul talks about here, to produce the will to follow him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Because if we don't have the will to follow him, everything else is something like going through the motions. So he's the one that produces the will, for it is God who works in you to will. Then he's also the one that produces the action and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He produces the will. He also produces the action. So it's his Holy Spirit. That's the powerful thing that happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, as had been promised by Jesus, came upon the disciples 
and they were transformed. You know, these disciples that vacillated so often in, in their lives sometimes did so well and sometimes did so poorly. In that moment, as they were filled with God's Spirit, as God's Spirit was given to the church, they had a power and energy because they had been energized by the Spirit of God himself. Something else very fascinating to me in the text, where, where Paul says it is God who works in you both to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. So he's the one that acts in us. So the word there translated for it is God who acts is a fascinating Greek word, which uh, actually the, the same word is used in terms of how he works in us to act which is only in the New Testament used referring to God, the specific form of it, only refers to God and always is effective. In fact, when you look at what they call the transliteration of that Greek word, that is taking the Greek letters and putting them in English letters, it looks like the word energy. So it is literally God powerfully working in us to produce energy that otherwise we wouldn't have. Energy which we cannot produce. So God is the one who works in us. There's a, a powerful companion passage of scripture. This is over in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9. Paul is here talking to the church in Ephesus. And in fact, it's up on the screen. And I wondered if you wouldn't read this with me. Let's read it together as a group. So Paul is dealing with the same concept. Uh, it's not that we don't have a part of what God is doing, but the initial powerful energy comes not from us, but from him. So read it with me, if you would. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's fascinating to me that so often it's when we are willing to give ourselves in this full sense to God, to let him do what he wants to do in our lives, that these, as Paul here talks about, these good works happen not even because we purpose for them to happen. They happen because he's put within us such a desire to follow him that they become our desire that we don't even realize they're his. So Paul is emphasizing the, to these good friends in Philippi, God is the one who works in he produces the want. He produces the action. He produces the light. So later on in this same passage, Paul talks about these Philippian Christians being shining as lights in the world. 
And when I read this, and probably when you heard it read, you may have thought of the same thing, where in John's Gospel, one of the great I am passages is where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then we, we lay that wonderful truth, Christ is the light of the world, out against how Jesus says, said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. So we, because of God's power, his energy working with us, within us, because the Holy Spirit has been given, we have the privilege of shining his light in the world. So that's God's part. And, and I believe it's the big part, okay? But we still have a part in all this. So God's part is to work in. He produces the change. Our part is to let the flow out. Our job is to work out what he has already worked in. And uh, although this is certainly not complete, Paul talking to these very good friends reminds them of some of the ways this takes place. I'm not sure he did it consciously, like let me give you some examples of how this can happen, or if he just couldn't help it as he's writing this, this letter to people he loves so much. For example, he's, he's saying to them, obey as if, as if uh, the people you care most about are looking. Obey when no one else is looking. Uh, in the very beginning of this text, he talks about, you know, just as you obeyed when I was there, I want you to obey when I'm not there. I thought, now there's, that statement is really interesting because it just makes you wonder what in the world was going on in Philippi that Paul would even want to say that. But maybe Paul was wanting to say to them, I just want you to remember that really your obedience has nothing to do with me, but I want you to obey almost as if there's no one looking, but I, you still obey. Um, it's also as if he's saying, um, remember who you serve. Uh, early in this text also, Paul talks about working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And actually, those are words I don't usually like to use. You know, fear is not something that most of us want. And trembling, I'm not sure what that all could refer to under some circumstances. But this isn't being fearful of God. This is Paul saying, you serve the God of the universe. That God who, who deserves your, your ultimate worship. And he is awesome. So remember who you serve, it's the God of the universe, and that will help, help you as you live out what God has worked into you. Um, live as uh, shining lights, as we've already talked about. Um, and then he talks in the last part of this chapter, which we didn't read, won't take time to read this morning, talks about two of his very good friends. 
And as I read through this and meditated on it, I thought, you know, what inspiration to these Philippians must have come because Paul simply talks about two people, Timothy and Epaphrodites. They don't mean a lot to us, but these were two of Paul's closest friends, and these were people that meant the most to those early Christians in Philippi. And I began to think for myself about some of the people who have been my models or my mentors in life. And what an inspiration they are to me to live the way I know God wants me to live. So I believe it's as if Paul is saying, now God is the one who does the hard job of working into you this total change. God is the one who will fill you with his Holy Spirit. But think about Timothy and Epaphrodites and me when you're making a decision as to how you should live your life and whether the way you're living is one that reflects the love of Jesus in your world. Uh, and when I think about this, in fact, one of the questions for reflection and discussion is, is for you to think about some of the people that have been your, your really great mentors in life and, and how you live differently when you're thinking about them, how you're inspired to live differently and how some things that you might even be inclined to do, you couldn't imagine doing because of them. Um, three men early in my life meant so much to me. This is beyond my own family. One was my pastor when I was a teenager. Uh, he's the guy that one summer um, talked the church into letting him paint uh, the white clapboards. It's a little white clapboard church and hiring all the, uh, this group of teenage guys, four or five of us, in order to help him paint it. He's also the one that said to us one day, he says, you know, uh, they say that if you have one teenager working with you, he will do the work of half a grown man. If you have two, each will do the work of a quarter of a grown man. And if you have more than that, they may not do anything at all. But that was the kind of engagement that he had with us as young men, working with us, showing us how we live our life. Um, I'll never forget, uh, he and his wife uh, came to, our, to my high school graduation, and uh, the sort of disappointment that I had afterwards when he referred to my salutatorian address, and I realized there are some things he wish I had said and some things I think he wish I had not said. Um, and that was a disappointment, but also it was a reminder to me in life. I mean, it's a kind of positive motivation. Uh, so Paul is saying, when, when you try to live out this marvelous reality that is God in your life, being a light in the world that otherwise you would not be, think about Epaphrodites. Think about Timothy. 
think about me and live the life of Jesus as if we were with you. How do we balance? How do we balance this reality that the, the big work in life is what God does in us, but at the same time there's something we should do? Well, the reality is this, that he does all the important stuff inside, but then we have the privilege reflecting on who he is and who we are and who we love of living a life that we believe would reflect him and encourage others to follow him. In a few minutes, we're going to share in Holy Communion together. And maybe it's a moment for, for you to say to him, Lord, it's been a long time since I said, Lord, I want, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you never have. And, and this morning, even as you receive communion, you want to say, Lord, I want to want for all of what you want to do in my life. Um, this would be a beautiful moment for that to take place. Or, or if you're online with us and you, and you have never said this, really big yes to Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that. And then if you would, let me know what you've done, just so I can celebrate with you, pray with you, um, that this is a moment that each week we again remember who God is. We remember who he is. We remember who we are. And we ask him to work in a new way in our lives. Thank you.